transmitted live across the Atlantic 3,000 miles and five hours backwards in time. We are now getting your sound clearly and we are looking forward with great anticipation to seeing your program. And welcome to another edition of the Match Report Podcast. I'm Jack, here with Manny. How's it going, man? It's going good. It's going good. Had a good weekend. Um, what you got planned? I heard it's a celebration or you guys have got some, some extra time off, right? Yeah, we got a rare bank holiday in the United States. They rarely let okay. us out. Um, but it is <laughs> President's Day, which I guess is to honor all presidents, but specifically George Washington and, and Abe Lincoln. Really, uh-huh. most people use it as an opportunity to go travel, to go ski on some mountain. I am at home, but uh, and I probably will be working tomorrow because, as, as you know, as a small business owner, you don't really get Doesn't days stop. off. Nah. <laughs> yeah, but I, you know, I appreciate the thought at least that maybe I'll take a few hours. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Makes sense. You got to catch the rest whenever you can, man. That's true. That is true. Yesterday, I, I sort of unplugged a little bit after the matches. It was yeah. a good, uh, pretty good weekend for the Premier League. I did the football weekend uh, newsletter on Friday previewing the matches to watch. And I had to be honest in the intro that it didn't seem like a banner weekend for world football. Uh, but the Premier League, as usual, did deliver when nobody else really had a lot to serve up. And, and you know, on paper, Man City-Chelsea was the big game. But we ended up having a, a bunch of great ones, including on this fine Sunday... Uh, yeah. Luton Town hosting your Manchester United Red Devils at Kenilworth yeah. Road, their charming little stadium just north of London near the airport. Yeah. <laughs> and it ended, up, it ended up being quite a match. I mean, a real advertisement for Barclays. Could have gone either way, although, you know, I think United were, were probably the better side. But it looked like Manchester United were eager to throw this away at, at various points, but not before Luton Town tried to throw it away in the first minute of the game with a horrendous giveaway to kick things off, and Rasmus Hoyland uh, took full advantage. Yeah, it was one of those um, mistakes that was just, you know, it happened maybe once in a blue moon, and we capitalized, which is, which is what's important. Uh, and I was happy that we did get that early goal, early two goals, actually. Because um, going away to Luton, we've seen other teams struggle at times. They're really difficult to break down. Um, and one of the goals was, yeah, a mistake. And the second goal was a bit of ingenuity in turning, you know, Garnacho's shot in with his chest uh, from Hodgland. Um, apart from that, we didn't... We created some really good openings, um, but it just seemed like there was poor decision-making in the final third from us and just a little bit of lack of quality in our finishing um, and just rushing some of our chances. I think it's not it's not often that you have so many of our forward line off off their game. I thought Garnacho is probably one of his weaker games he's had in the past couple of months in his, in his great form recently. Um, Fernandez was poor. Um, Casemiro was poor. Um, you know, defensively we looked we looked okay. Luton, you know, typically are going to put a lot of crosses in, and I think both our centre backs, Varane and Maguire, dealt with those really well. You know, and both of those centre backs are in the top five for um, aerial duels in, in the league. So, you know, I was fairly confident that if they were going to get a goal, it was going to be through either a mistake or 
another, you know, a, a cutback goal or, you know, a set piece goal rather than, you know, open play crosses. So, you know, it's a good result. Um, and I think for me, the, the biggest takeaway I've taken from it is the two centre midfielders for either side. So, um, mainly for United and Barkley for Luton. I think both of them had a great game uh, and was a great, great platform for them to show that they've got they've got the spot for, for England and the Euros coming up. I think Gareth Southgate really needs to move on Calvin Phillips and Hendo um, and bring in these two. Yeah, as you mentioned, Rasmus Hoyland got two. I thought, you know, when I first saw the second that he got off a of Garnacho volley from the top of the box, looked like he didn't know much about it, but he did actually contort his body to yeah. redirect that ball with his chest. Uh, a bit of luck, which you get when you're in the kind of form he's in, but also, you know, he really put himself about. Uh, yeah. But then, you know... It, that then there was soon after that the first example of United uh, attempting to throw this away. It was nice work from Carlton Morris, sort of a striker's instinct to spin out of a, a confrontation with the defender and head it past an onrushing Andre Onana, and then to make it two one uh, to Man United, and then uh, Harry Maguire takes a free kick tries to play it into midfield, just hands it to the aforementioned Ross Barkley. And I thought that United should have been punished more. I thought it should have been 2-2 there. Uh, you know, through that middle period of the game, starting about halfway through the first half, uh, Luton really got on top of United. Maybe not clear-cut chances one after another, but when United were in deep possession, they looked very uncomfortable uh, with Luton's physicality, with with uh, the way that Luton were getting on top of them in those areas. What were your anxiety levels as a, as a Man United fan watching that maybe middle third of the match? It looked like we were definitely on the brink of conceding. And we've seen from this side that once there's a little bit of misfortune or you know a decision goes against us or, or goals go against us, we do have a tendency to let our heads drop and, and just become out of shape. So I was almost expecting it. But then there was a lot of uh, counter-attacking opportunities from us and quick transition play from us that I thought if we really shift another couple of gears, we can get another two goals quite easily. Um, Luton were quite open at the back uh, through transition play, um, through balls into space for Garnacho and, and Rashford. I thought Rashford had a pretty good game as well. Unfortunately, not to get a goal. Uh, and their goalkeeper made a, a, a couple of decent saves. Um, but it, it, I think it was one of those games that early in the season, I think United would have easily dropped a couple of points. Um, but it just seems that with with good play, with good form, you are getting a bit of good good luck as well. Um, but I really want to see us, you know, the way you're seeing Arsenal, Liverpool really dispatch teams and comfortably win. We need to start putting those kind of performances if we are going to have a chance at top four. Yeah, United had a bunch of chances to put this away, and I think that does illustrate the gap, as you say, between the title chasers and those teams you know, in behind them, including Manchester mm -hmm. United. Bruno Fernandes was played in by Garnacho at one point, rounds the keeper. Kaminsky, by the way, uh, the Luton keeper, I thought had a disaster class of a day, especially mm -hmm. you know, getting into the second half. He was His positioning was all off at various times. He was caught in no man's land in this, mm -hmm. uh, in this example. But uh, Albert Sambi Lukanga has a flying block to, to keep Bruno out. 
Garnacho also uh, later got in and couldn't take advantage. And one thing that struck me, though, and this always strikes me about Bruno, you know, Garnacho obviously makes a hash of the one-on-one and fails to score. But then he does get on to the loose ball after that and puts in a decent ball. But Bruno is not alive to it, and he's not going to the back post because he's already remonstrating and sort of throwing a bit (laughs) of a fit at his teammate, justifiably, because I think Garnacho made a hash of it. But you got to wait till the play is dead. I mean, he could have made a run to the back post and put that in. Does that that frustrate you as a Man United fan to watch Bruno Fernandez and uh, the Antonys of the world spend so much of their time remonstrating when there's a match to be won and, and the ball is, in some cases, still in play? Yes, definitely. I mean, you've learned from as a kid when you play football play to the, to the whistle you know so as a professional football player a player of his ability and with his experience you know get on with the game and then have have a word but even having a word at Garnacho he's like you said he had a similar opportunity that he he fluffed these lines as well uh, he's a young player and he's bound to make mistakes you know Garnacho is 19 we have to remember that he's not going to get things right all the time but what he does have is that constant endeavor to uh, be threatening to get in behind to create chances so it, it's been a question mark for me on Fernandez's leadership uh, skills you know there's different ways you can be a leader in the side um, I think he prefers to lead by example um, and he is very passionate but he does often I think go over the line where he does have a bit of a hissy fit and you just think come on man just just get on with the game um, you know we've we're always going to be comparing the previous legendary captains that we've had and you never really saw that you know with a Rio with a Gary you know with with a Roy Keane and if Roy Keane did give you a rollicking you nine out of ten times deserved it so uh, I, I think it, it's it's part of his game and it's, it's part of his his personality I guess but I can always give Fernandez a bligh because he produces you know when Anthony does it it's he doesn't get anywhere near the same slack and he doesn't deserve the same slack so yeah, it's one of those ones where it's just we've got to just get on with it because Fernandez does produce for us, but it is frustrating to watch. Yeah, Bruno, I think, has the most chances created in the league this season. I actually think there are two Arsenal boys in behind him in, uh, in Odegaard and Saka, the second and third, but Bruno is the premier chance creator in the league. Granted, Kevin De Bruyne has not been fit. Some Some of the people you would expect to be in the conversation haven't been there. But, you know, Man United, for all the the hand-wringing, they made it difficult on themselves. It came down to the final whistle. They're defending very deep, Mm. Uh, although Bruno had yet another chance to seal it after another, you know, disastrous Mm -hmm. moment from the the Luton keeper, Kaminsky. He failed to take that one as well. But they got the result, and they've actually moved to three points, within three points of Tottenham Hotspur in fourth. Uh, They're up to 44 points to Tottenham's 47 um, and it's, you know, for all of the, the hand-wringing, as I say, and I've had my fun, you know, talking about Man United <laughs> this season, but they stuck around, not unlike Arsenal have in the title race, they've stuck around, they've picked up points sometimes when they didn't deserve to, sometimes they made it more mm-hmm. difficult than they needed to, mm-hmm. and I, they're right in the discussion, you know, despite everything we've basically heard about United in the media, which is, has been universally negative and much of it has been earned, but they're there. Yeah. And I think what you're seeing as well with the new 
part ownership change is there's a lot more positive news coming out at Old Trafford. You know, you're hearing news of the redevelopment of the local area and a new stadium and how how much the, the, the council are behind it. Um, you know, us going after top uh, football executives in Dan, um, oh, I forgot his from Ashworth, yeah, from yeah. Newcastle, um, looking at, you know, heads of recruitment from other top clubs. It, it just seems like we're now acting again like a proper club. And, you know, maybe that, is having an effect on the players and they're realizing, you know, we actually do want to be here to see what this, this project's going to be like. Um, and yeah, if, if you don't give yourself a chance, then, you know, you, you can't, you can't really blame anyone else. Um, us being in, in the touching distance of getting top four, no one thought that was going to happen, uh, but we've keep plug, plugging away. Uh, there's a lot of noise. Um, and I think a lot of focus on, the title race, but I think United are just steadily plodding along um, and some of the teams are dropping points unexpectedly. Yeah, I think Aston Villa have hit a rough, rough patch and the team that is nominally in the driver's seat for that fourth and final Champions League place, Tottenham Hotspur, had a match of their own this mm. weekend where they dropped points at home 2-1 to Wolverhampton Wanderers. Coming into the match... You know, I said I think Wolves are a better team than their 32 points suggests. Mm. Now they have 35 because they went to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. And, you know, I don't think even had that difficult a time with it. They knew how they wanted to play. They knew that Tottenham would demand possession and want to set up camp in their half. And they knew that Tottenham could be got at. It doesn't matter. You know, they got away with it over the first, you know, six, seven, eight matches of the season depending on Mickey Vandeven's pace to, to bail mm-hmm. them out when they get counterattacked upon. Uh, you know, your, your mileage may vary on Christian Romero. Uh, I hear from Tottenham fans that he's, the, you know, the Virgil van Dyke <laughs> of London. But you can get at this team, and they were got at once again by, by Wolves. This Wolves side is very, very exciting to watch. Um, on the break and on and in transition, I put them up there with, you know, not far off from United, not far off from Arsenal. Um, they've got real quality, you know, with, with pace and, and, and quality in, in, in Neto, Sarabia, Cunha. Um, I think they've got they've got quality there. And um, Chan's come back from Asia Cup. Uh, he, he missed a, a great opportunity to, to put them in the league quite early on in the game. But there is enough about that side that will trouble most teams in the league, probably every team in the league, but they're inconsistent. Um, and, you know, they've always been ravaged by injuries to their top players. So they've never been able to have, you know, a consistent four or five month period where they can really go, at, you know, having a go at the league. Um, but on their day, you know, the, the result wasn't a shock, you know. Um, we, we've seen Wolves play, like I said, other top four sides and given them, you know, either lost, um, either lost to them or dropped a couple of points. So the game plan worked. Uh, it was a great breakaway goal for the for the winner from Neto when he set up um, Gomez. He's, that's his second goal for the club now after not scoring for, I think, you know, over, I think over nine months or something like that. Um, so it, it's, they're, they're a bogey team for a lot of people. Um, and Tottenham, unfortunately, they didn't. They're not seeming as convincing as they was when their players were missing. With Basuma back, Madison back, Son as well. I was expecting another resurgence from them, but it's had the opposite effect. 
Yeah, Spurs did open the second half quite well, and it, they scored in pretty fine style through Dayan Kulisevsky, who sort of tiptoed past mm-hmm. one or two defenders, put it through the keeper's legs. Uh, he is a silky smooth uh, player, but again, I'm just so unconvinced by by the Tottenham, and it's not just the history of the Tottenham. I, I think the way that they set up, they leave themselves open, and, and as you say, that second goal was so indicative of it I mean first of all Pablo Sarabia missed a golden opportunity from mm-hmm. another great cross and he shot it right at Vicario who was another strength of the Tottenham team actually the keeper but it was right at the keeper they could have gone 2-1 there but it took Pedro Neto basically going coast to coast as mm-hmm. we would say in NBA parlance uh just absolutely running all over uh what isn't you know it's a pretty athletic Tottenham side but they just leave themselves so open, and he just ran all over them and, and set up that that second. And I was never overly convinced that the outcome was going to change after that. Yeah, and uh, they started the season with really swashbuckling, full-throttle, um, high-line pressing football, and it kind of caught the rest of the league off guard. And I think a lot of teams are like, wait, hold on. There's, there's actually a real opportunity where you can get at Tottenham if you play those right balls in behind. And it's been their their downfall for a lot of the games. I mean, a lot of the goals they do concede is very similar goals. Um, and uh, I think there's a lot of naivety still in their play, still in the way the manager sets up the team. And, you, you know, defence is what really gives you that backbone to be successful in in the league. You know, you can score as many goals as you want, but if you're not grinding out 1-0, you know, 2-1, 2-0 results, and you're constantly conceding without, you know, an an electric firepower um, strikers and and, and wingers, you are going to always be in danger of of dropping points. And I think that's that's what Tottenham's issue is now. Um, You know, you're seeing that similar with Liverpool, but they've got so much options and quality up front that, them conceding a goal or two per game, which they, they do nowadays, they're still going to score three, four more. But Tottenham don't have that luxury. So I, I think the manager would actually really look at the, you know, their team structure um, and just be a bit more solid. And they've got the players and the quality to get goals. Um, but they, I think they're letting themselves down a bit. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Huang Hee Chan, by the way, who uh, is really a physical specimen. I mean, he he would be very difficult to mark. Uh, mm-hmm. He was asked to play more of a, you know, upfront lone striker role with Mateos Cunha out here. And he looked like a difficult proposition. Mm-hmm. Um, it sort of reminds me of, you know, you might think that Hyungman's son coming over uh, from the German league, you know, he's probably a, a nice technician, good pace, but he's a powerful man. And uh, his, his teammate his South Korean teammate, Hwang Hee Chen, also a very powerful man. Uh, but you're you're absolutely right to um, to highlight that Ange Postacoglu does he is he too rigid tactically is he going to fall into what Arsenal fans suffered through in the later years of Arsene Wenger, where you have someone who's so committed to a style of play and specific tactics within that style of play in terms of a high line, getting so many men up ahead of the ball. And in Arsene Wenger's case, refusing to buy a defensive midfielder to sit in front of the back four. <laughs> but in Ange's case, it's, it's, I think it's more tactical than the, the personnel yeah. because they have 
people that could sit in more. They could play a double pivot, whatever, um, and and have you know have two guys sitting deeper more more often than they do. Uh, but is that tactical rigidity going to cost them? Because everybody else adapts. You know, the the mark of a top manager now is constant adaptation. What's made Arsenal so great after they returned from their trip to Dubai, their summer break, has been that you never know how they're going to line up. You never really know in a big game how Pep Guardiola's Man City are going to line up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just think you always know exactly how Tottenham are going to line up, and it makes it easier to prepare. It makes it easier to break them down. It makes it easier mm-hmm. to, to wait keep the spring loaded and as soon as you get the opportunity as people did again to Wenger's teams over and over again you spring into action you know exactly which channel you can get at them down you know somebody's going to be out of possession out of position when they lose possession and that's how you can destroy them yeah that's exactly it um and and touching on on City and Arsenal is you know like you said there'll be inverted fullbacks there'll be the eight that's, that's pushing forward alongside the number 10, you know, you'll have uh, a, a number nine that, that drops into the hole. Alvarez can play that role. Jesus plays that role. Havertz, you know, you don't know if, if Ake is going to play as that third centre-back that, that slots into midfield. There's there's variation in their play that does give you a, an added added advantage and and more tools, you know, to, to your arsenal. I, I do think that they are very, very particular and kind of only have one way of playing. And the only difference is the personnel change, but not structurally um, or not, or tactically the way they want to play. So it is something he's going to have to definitely work on if you know he, he wants to be successful at Tottenham. Otherwise, they're just going to be labelled as that side that play good attacking football. You know, they're positive, uh, play on the front foot, but they'll never really mount a serious challenge. Um definitely for the league and you know it'll, it'll be always a, a battle for for the top four well yeah I, I would say the top four race has been shaken up uh this weekend and so is the title race which we'll get to but it felt like a good time to do our set piece mm-hmm. looking at the teams in behind that title race assuming that the top three will remain the top three who will get that final uh fourth and final champions league spot who will settle into the Europa League places. Um, so, Manny, I'll ask you first, who do you have yeah. uh, from seventh down to fourth in terms of where these teams will finish come May in the Premier League? So, with seventh, I've gone with Newcastle. Um, it was a bit of a toss-up between them and uh, Chelsea, who I think they've had a, some, some resurgence and had a really positive result uh, against City over the weekend. And I did see some things that made me think that, you know, they could put in a decent, you know, final run in the league. They're, I think they only have three or four points from, from seventh. Um, but I've gone with Newcastle purely because I think they've got a, a more settled side, a better manager. Um, and they've, you know, more recently have been in and around that area. Um, and I think they've got the quality in the squad. Um, but I just think, again, they are showing some cracks um, but I do think that Eddie Howe's a great manager and see them through to the end of the season, the seventh. Um, at sixth, I've gone with Tottenham. Uh, yeah, for me, a lot of the th- reasons that, w- that we've said, I think they're not 
pragmatic enough um, as a side. I think they are naive in their play. And I think ultimately against the, the weaker sides in the league, they will always get two, three goals. But I think when they're playing that top half of the league, um, it's, you know, with the amount of strength and quality in, in the league across, you know, outside of the top six, they will struggle. Um, and Tottenham are notorious for, you know, just falling away and imploding. So I've gone with them at sixth. At fifth, I have gone with Aston Villa. Um, purely, probably based on my own hope and, and bias. Um, I think they've shown throughout this this league and this season that they are ahead of United. Um, but I just think that with the quality United have, and if we do put in a, a good run of form, um, our quality overall in the squad will see us through. Um, we, we have seen that, again, they've had a bit of a purple patch Villa. Uh, I just hope that they're inexperienced for really challenging um, at that, you know, a high stakes, which would be, you know, top four. And I think first time they've, they've been playing Champions League football in with a couple of decades at least. Um, I do think they'll probably just fall away just at the end. Um, and then at fourth, I'll go with my beloved United. Um, I, I've seen enough from us uh, with some of our players coming back with experienced players in Varane, um, you know, now settled in, in the side again. Uh, Luke Shaw coming back, although it seems like he's got another injury. Casemiro's back. Hodgson's finding form. There's a lot more cohesion going forward. Um, and Ten Hag is, is kind of settled in the way he wants us to play and utilising the squad better with McTominay coming in as an impact player rather than someone that's, you know, starting and, and being given the responsibility of dictating play. Um, so I think, you know, our, our form will, will gradually pick up and, and our quality will see us through to, to fourth. Yeah, I agree. I've thought that for a few weeks that Man United were firmly in the top four race, and I think that they will secure that fourth and final Champions League spot. I, I just don't buy Tottenham at this stage. Um, that's why I actually have... I, I, think I, I think I'll have Tottenham in fifth. I think that they will be on the, you know, maybe a point or two behind United when it's all said and done. I think it could come down to them dropping points away at Bournemouth or something on the final day. Mm-hmm. I think they're a very good side, Tottenham. I just, it's too easy to get at them. It's it, They drop points too often. You you basically can't lose at to Wolves at home. That's the state of the yeah. league these days. Yeah. If you go away to Molyneux, okay. But I don't think that you can justify that. It just happens too often. But I do think that they could settle into fifth because they do play some great stuff and they score plenty of goals. Um, and then uh, sixth, I have Aston Villa, although I was tempted to slide them down further because I think th- I think it's going to be a difficult final third or so to the season for Villa. Mm. Um, they're another side that could be found out as you know a, as an Arsenal fan, I've seen Unai Emery sides that look very good for 60 percent of a season. Yeah. And eventually, his he is his own version of. It's not so much rigid, rigidity as, and it's it's harsh to say predictable, but hmm. eventually people can latch on to what his midfield sauce is. I think he, they've had a very dynamic midfield yeah. machine uh, so far this season, but if people can figure out how to put the stop on that. 
they might start to struggle if if they if you can stop them from feeding Ollie Watkins, which is easier said than done. I think they might start sliding down the table a bit, uh, and then I have Chelsea getting into seventh. I think that you know it's it's easy. We're about to get to their match this weekend. It's easy to get excited after they go to the Etihad and do what they did. Uh, but I think that they are they have more quality than they've shown for much of this season. I mean, talk about dropping stupid points. Uh, they've really done it to themselves quite a bit. But it's om- just as much as their quality to me, it's that the other teams around them are sort of falling away at a really opportune time for Chelsea. I think that, you know, Brighton are just so inconsistent. Even at the last five games are a nice example of win-loss, win-loss, draw. Hmm. They won 5-0 this weekend, but they sometimes, they, you know, sometimes ship 4 or 5 to the Lutons mm-hmm. of the world. You just never know who's going to show up, despite, you know, how much I rate their manager. Newcastle, I think, are really going to struggle, and maybe I'm more pessimistic than others. But I, I think that they're really going to struggle here because I think they're, e- they're an easier problem to solve than almost anybody else in terms of how they go forward. I think mm-hmm. if you can shut down Bruno Gimaresh, there's nobody feeding nobody. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you could, they could just try and get the ball to Anthony Gordon, Anthony Gordon early on the left. But I think that they are sort of getting found out as well. The the injuries have also been very difficult on them. You know, Tottenham fans will complain about the injuries, but Newcastle have had their issues. But also, you know, I just think their ceiling is lower than a lot of these teams. Um, And of course, West Ham, uh, this is their worst spell of the season. I think it'll get a little better. I don't think that David Moyes is going to get shoved out the door, regardless of what their fans with extremely short memories seem to, to want. Not only did they win a European trophy last season, but uh, they were very good for the first half of yeah. the season. I mean, they were a very difficult proposition. It's changing a bit now, especially with that Lucas Pequeta there. Uh, but they're not, they're no longer in the, in the top seven race. It doesn't feel like mm-hmm. to me. So that's, I think it's almost as much those teams falling away as as Chelsea's quality, which I think is sort of limited. I, I think they're better than they've mm. shown, but there's a lot of Cole Palmer and not a lot of yeah. anybody else. Um, but I guess that's, that's as good an entree as any into Man City. Chelsea ended 1-1 at the Etihad, and Chelsea, to their credit, held a 1-0 lead for the vast majority of this this game. I mean, towards the end of the first half, they got their opener, and this wasn't just a Cole Palmer game. It, it, everybody was putting in a shift. Yeah. You know, Raheem Sterling got his goal, but he was also working hard. Um, I, this was sort of a confluence of factors. First of all, Chelsea actually came to play for once, and everybody put in maximum effort. But also, it's sort of an ideal Mauricio Pochettino match where he doesn't want the ball. He wants to, to lay that trap and spring forward. He wants his players to work extremely hard without the ball and win it high up the pitch. Um, and Man City, in a way, is an ideal opponent uh, for him. Mm. I mean, the the beginning of Tottenham being Man City's bogey team, which has continued since he left, probably yeah. began when Mauricio Pochettino was there and 
his style of play was almost cooked up in a lab to deal with Pep Guardiola's style of play. Yeah, I think, like you said, it was a perfect game um, and it suited the, the players that, that Chelsea now have. And I think they've got a lot a lot of physical players, hardworking players in Caicedo, Gallagher, um, Gusto. I think he's got a great engine and he's always up and down that, that wing. Um, on the right side, um, defensively, there's you know some question marks on there for him, but they do have great workhorses in in that side. And I think sitting back um, and waiting to spring and waiting for for that counter attack just suited them really well. And when they've got players like Enzo and Palmer who do have the quality on the ball to find, you know, the, the ball into space um, and to cut open teams, it worked to their favour. Uh, I think the reason why Chelsea may struggle to get in that top seven is because, you know, other sides, they're going to actually try and play and come out a bit more. And I think that's where they struggle. Uh, I, I think being playing on the front foot and being a bit more open, that's when they make the mistakes and you've seen some really comical goals from them. Um, but this was a perfect setup. Great, great, great game plan from Pochettino. Um, that counter-attack worked a couple of times before their opening goal way they could have got in and I thought Jackson played really well um, the position she was picking up was almost as a left forward rather than, than the central striker and he was pulling um, Diaz and Walker you know in, in different places and allowing some of the midfield runners to, to take his space um, and City looked looked rattled you know in that first half they looked almost in disbelief that there were uh, a goal down and the amount of chances that had been carved up you know in the first half Second half, however, was complete, complete domination from from City. Um, it it's just one of those games where they could have easily won four one, but it's not often that you see Haaland miss so many great clear cut chances, and not just missing the chances, not even getting them on target. Um, so yeah, one 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 is a great result for them. It's really opens up the the title race, but um, I, I I think. Also for City, you know, for Rodri to have to drag you out again, maybe it's not their year. Yeah, I mean, I found myself asking the same questions you always do after these, which is, you know, is this the same Man City juggernaut that we're used to? I'm almost afraid to ask because it's like that meme <laughs> I saw a couple weeks ago where it's like maturity is not turning the match on when you see Man City are down 1-0. Because you know that they're going to come back. <laughs> I had that feeling during this one, and I, I sort of have that more globally in terms of, you know, maybe this is the year. Like Maybe they're not the same team. But you're right that it took Rodri to bail them out again. And, you know, I think the De Bruyne, the Kevin De Bruyne and, and Holland performances are, as someone who wants to see a different team win the title, were as heartening as anything. Again, it could be a one-off, but... I found myself asking, is Erling Holland a mere mortal like the rest of us? I mean, he certainly, he looked like a mere mortal here. Hmm. Yeah, he did. And and the game got quite desperate for City where the last 20 minutes, it was De Bruyne on that right-hand channel just spamming crosses in. And, you know, with his quality, you are going to get two or three really dangerous balls that go in. Um, and, and I thought someone that looked quite lively, although they didn't, fashioned too many chances for the team um, was, was Doku. I think he had the, the beating of Gusto. Um, 
but you know Foden wasn't able to get into get into space as much and get onto the ball in in, in tight areas. They looked better when Bernardo Silva came on. Um, you know they're trying to get into the box a bit more. He's got great technical ability and, and close control. So I thought he he opened up the game for them a, a bit. But there was um, it almost looked like there wasn't they didn't have that cutting edge up until Rodri's goal, and um, it, it does make give you a bit of hope that. They don't really have another option, you know. If if Haaland's not getting you the goals, you don't have another striker to bring on. And that's something that Jesus, you know, did for City, you know. He was that option that could come off the bench. Sterling as well. These were players that, you know, if Foden or Mares were not on form or Aguero wasn't on form, there was quality that could come on and, and change the game. And I think City are lacking, the you know, a, a, a different... A different option up front or in the in attacking third if their the front line is not firing. Grealish is out injured. Nunes hasn't stepped up yet, and um, yeah, I, I think it's 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 one of those games that will probably just be a one off because they do have so much quality. But I'm hoping that it, it's more than that. Yeah, I think a big issue they're facing is that Julian Alvarez has fallen so far out of form after being, I thought, the best player in the division for probably the first mm. 10 weeks of the 15. season. Yeah. Um, he has really been, you know, he's on my fantasy team too. I can tell you that he has been anonymous in recent, <laughs> in recent weeks. And I think he is the alternate option up front. I mean, I guess at times it feels like they go to sort of a two-up-front thing Maybe they should do it more often where you have a big man, little man situation. Very old school, but we see more 4-4-2s, maybe more out of possession than in possession. But you see more 4-4-2s than you did a few years ago. Yeah. And maybe they should think about that. Um, But yeah, I mean, I thought it was, you know, I came into this, I'll be transparent. I didn't give Chelsea a prayer. Pep Pep Guardiola had some line in the press conference about how Chelsea was going to be one of their biggest tests of the season. And I tend to think he can be a bit of a corn dog about this stuff. Yeah. It's his, you know, motivational methods. I was like, Chelsea aren't a big test. Like they every top side has wiped the floor with them. And I yeah. saw, you know, Nicholas Jackson alone up front. I'm thinking they are doomed, you know. <laughs> but he it seems like Nicholas Jackson is learning how to play a lone striker role to in a way that he can play it. And it hmm. reminds me a bit, he's not as physical, but reminds me a bit of Mikel Antonio, where when he plays a lone striker, it's a lot of running the channels and mm-hmm. dribbling uh, to, to keep hold of the ball until yeah. his team can get up the field and join him. Um, and I think Nicholas Jackson's learning a little bit about how to do that. He's never going to be a hold-up player in the traditional sense, but you can hold the ball up by getting hold of it, dribbling laterally towards the sideline, around, knock it around somebody, keep it in that midfield area until the Cole mm-hmm. Palmers and Raheem Sterlings can get up there with you. And it just about worked for them. I mean, particularly in the first half, I was starting to buy it, you know, even though mm-hmm. Nicholas Jackson was clean through on 23 minutes and I, you know, correctly assessed that he never had a prayer of scoring. <laughs> But they, you know, especially in the first half, they they looked like they could give them a game. I, I thought Caicedo and Enzo Fernandez uh, were finally looking like the kind of partnership that you spend upwards of two hundred million pounds on 
Um, Caicedo in particular was biting into challenges. I mean, I would yeah. not have wanted to be out there with him. Even if I had Rodri alongside me, I would not have wanted to be in those trenches against Caicedo. I mean, he was leaving a boot in. I, a lot of people are going to be icing their ankles after this one, but that's <laughs> what you have to do against the superior side. I mean, you have to make them uncomfortable. Enzo, you know, actually put in a shift. He was, you know, making his own dribbling runs to get them out of out of high pressure situations, snapping into a few tackles himself. I think that will be as encouraging as anything for Chelsea fans to see the, that midfield partnership clicking a bit with Connor Gallagher also working very hard in front of them. And then behind them, without Thiago Silva, you had a, a, a center-back partnership that, that looked fairly viable, even if sometimes I, you know, I, I worry about Levi Colwell <laughs> at times. Mm. He, and sometimes he looks a bit like a giraffe on skates, but he, you know, he survived the test here. They all survived the test. And, and in some cases, they more than survived, I would say. Yeah. Uh, and I think their defensive four, including the keeper to make it five, I thought that looks like the potential to be, you know, where their future, you know, defensive line. And there's great balance there with Cowell, um, great on the ball passing you know with the passing angles and, and the passing range that he does have um, and then the sassy is great you know physically as uh, a great athlete and i thought he made some really good blocks and challenges um in that game um you know will we'll be key to see how that partnership develops um but then with chilwell i, I highly rate Chilwell. i think he's, he's a great left back he's dependable he rarely gets caught on the ball or, or makes a mistake and you know he's got a great delivery on his on his left foot um, and he does find himself and makes good runs and provides that support on the left for you know whether it's a Mudrick or, or Sterling um, my question mark is on Gusto I think he's he's a young player that definitely has a lot of potential um, I just think he is a bit naive and just leaving space behind um, and all, almost wants to be a winger more than than a fullback um, so it will be interesting to see how that matches up with Reese James. Obviously, being a club captain, you'd expect him, you know, whenever he's fit, if he's ever going to be fit for longer than a couple of games, if he's going to, you know, be able to cement that spot. And Chilwell's got his uh, injury problems as well. So I think without a settled back five, Chelsea will struggle. Um, but I did see enough in in the personnel and the characteristics of of, of the defenders that they had that it suits well, especially with the, the two midfielders in front of them, and give them that extra protection. Um, so there's definitely some positives, um, but uh, I just think that there's not enough belief. Um, maybe belief's the wrong word, but I just I just don't think there's enough in, in that side mentally to withstand the sustained pressure in the league. Uh, but that Man City game looked more like a derby game where a team that's out of form is able to just rise for the occasion, you know, run that extra 20%, put in, you know, those extra challenges, make those extra sprints that they weren't doing against the lesser sides and it gave them the results. Um, so it will, be, it will be interesting to see how they do for the next couple of weeks. So they still have that same hunger that they showed against City. Yeah, I think the most uh, encouraging thing from a title race standpoint was how easy Chelsea got in they very easily got in behind the Man City 
back line. And part of it was that Manuel Akanji and Nathan Ake were at times playing uh, on the edge of Chelsea's box, essentially. They were yeah. so far forward. At some points, Kevin De Bruyne was the farthest back. He was almost playing a NFL quarterback role. <laughs> Uh, he was the, you know, the farthest back spraying, spraying balls around. I, this was a bit of an Ange Postacoglu defensive shape that, that Pep Guardiola brought to this one. I I thought that city were playing crazy football at times. Mm. It was very easy for Cole Palmer. What it it would take one combination and then somebody's running in behind and you just pop it over the top. You got a three on two. It happened over and over again. That gave me some hope as much as as anything. Um, well, also the way that Arsenal performed and Liverpool performed in fairness this weekend as well. Um, we can start with, with Arsenal's 5-0 at Burnley, which makes 11 goals uh, scored and zero goals conceded over the last two. I saw some stat about 21 or 22 goals in their last five Um the concerns about Arsenal as a goal-scoring outfit seem to be receding at a time when yeah. they're still the, the top defensive outfit in the Premier League with just 22 goals conceded on the season. It, I, I would say the conversation has changed substantially in, in recent weeks. There's, you know, there's still no top-class forward in terms of being a clinical finisher, at Arsenal, but they have Leandro Trossard to play there, and Kai Havertz is scoring, and Bakayo Saka mm-hmm. scores every single game. Martin Odegaard, who scored 15 league goals last season, is, is starting to get back up there, even though he's playing a deeper role at times, or at least dropping deep more often now. Um, it, it is encouraging days uh, for the Arsenal faithful as they at least just try and stay in this conversation with Liverpool and City. Yeah, and Arsenal throughout, even during the Wenger days, Emery, Arsenal always create chances. They always create opportunities. What they've lacked, you know, historically or in most recent history, is being able to finish and putting those 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 chances away. And you're seeing that you have so many goal scorers now in your side that you don't necessarily need that clinical number nine. Um, you know, week in week out, I think you need that clinical number nine for you know those top four games away at, at City away at United you know um, at home even at, at Liverpool those defining moments to you know to get that three points against your rivals um, but in these games against you know West Ham Burnley the, the the bottom half of the league you have so much quality and the way you can rotate and shift your players in in this side is so fluid you know, Trossard is popping up as a false nine, as a number eight, as a 10. Um, you'll see him out wide sometimes. You know, the great interchange between um, him and, and Havertz, we're seeing that develop even more now where Havertz is, is now looking like the signing that, you know, uh, Arteta and Arsenal fans were hoping for. And he's confident and he's getting getting goals now. Um, also with players coming in with, with Kiro, he is... He's done well, you know. He's getting he's getting himself in the final third. He's getting good deliveries in, um, and he's being brave on the ball. And he's not just that defensive minded fullback that he was maybe last season. Um, he's playing a bit more um, openly, and you know he he's getting on the ball. Like I said, I think Arsenal have got a great opportunity here. 
Um, and I think they, it is better for them to be chasing than leading. Um, and the only concern is when the pressure and people start really saying, okay, Arsenal might win this, that's going to test them mentally. And that's where I think they may falter. But as long as everyone keeps focusing on City and Liverpool, I think the dark horse to win this title race is going to be Arsenal. Yeah, I think Kivior has benefited from uh, Mikel Arteta's in- increased tactical variety and flexibility, where mm-hmm. it's no longer what it was last season, where the left back will invert. It doesn't matter who the left back is; you are going to invert and go into midfield like Zinchenko does. And mm-hmm. it does, you know, if Alexander Zinchenko isn't fit, next man up, you're doing the same job. Now he's adapting to what he has available. So Zinchenko's not available. Maybe you play a more traditional left back who's going down the line more vertically. And Kivior actually has some sneaky pace, even though he's you know a center back by trade. And yeah. they're just asking him to go up and down the line. And maybe Ben White will come in into midfield more often. Um, and I think that is the biggest thing. You don't know who's going to line up at striker. You don't know who's going to be at the left eight. You don't know how those two positions are going to interchange or when they're going to interchange and who's going to be where when, which is a nightmare for the center backs and the defensive midfielders for the other team. They don't know who's going to be in their spaces, when they, mm-hmm. when they should go with them, when they should pass them off. Eventually, the, the communication is going to break down, and then you don't know who's going to be stepping into midfield to, to create the extra man with Declan Rice and whoever's partnered with him in there. Um, and I think that has really been encouraging for me to see because, again, it's just so many years – 18 years of being a fan and so many of those years were spent mm-hmm. knowing exactly how the team will line up, knowing the names yeah. on the team sheet before it comes out and knowing that the other team knows that too. You know, yeah. <laughs> Now the other yeah. team doesn't know. And that is really, really encouraging to me, but so is Kai Havertz. I mean, it's hilarious to me that it could turn out this way, but if Kai Havertz can score eight league goals between now and the end of the season, even six league goals, suddenly Kai Havertz might be worth the money. Suddenly Kai Havertz might be a good signing. Certainly a better signing than many of these clubs whose fans have been laughing about Kai Havertz from day one. And some days they were justified in laughing at him for $65 million. But if he scores the goals to win big games, and he does have a track record as a big game player, you know, if, yeah. if he goes and scores yeah. at the Etihad in a month or, or a month or so's time, whenever Arsenal go up to play Manchester City, I mean, he's going to be the one laughing. He's, he's got a Champions League final goal in his locker. He's, yeah. got the, he's got a medal in his house. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Arteta, you know, hats off to him, has trusted him. And you're seeing the dividends paying, paying off for that. Uh, I'm also loving Trossard in this Arsenal side. I find him such a clever player in the way he navigates the pitch and, and just picks up space instinctively um, and being ambidextrous the way he is he's you know you never know which way he's gonna go which is a nightmare for defenders um, and he's starting to build up like I said a really good relationship with Havertz and the interchanging as well as Odegaard um, and even with Odegaard dropping a bit deeper to collect the ball there's real progressive play um, with him doing that um, and then it's it's given opportunity for them to have that sustained attack to just keep going at teams with Martinelli and, and Saka. And Saka's making those darted um, diagonal runs again that were just so, so dangerous. And he's really getting to the box a bit more. And I think the 
the the the striking onus is now on Saka to really be that final third player to break break the line and and, and run beyond and into the box and, and get a goal for Arsenal. Um, and I love him dispatching his penalty. So it's it's looking good for Arsenal, but <laughs> it's very easy for things to go left. Um, you know, we, we we'll be talking in in a week and saying that you know without having a recognised striker and you know and having to play you know Havertz as a as a nine and a half slash eight is you know an experiment gone wrong. Um, I just think if Arsenal play the Arsenal way and just finish their chances, they've got themselves a real real good opportunity here. Um, and I just think defensively that's their strongest suit as much as all the goals they're scoring, it's being rigid and being um, consistent in their defensive play and defensive transitioning because Arsenal do play high up. They do press on the front foot, but when they do lose the ball, they very quickly get it back. Um, So I think those things give them a a great opportunity in this league, Um, but it's going to probably require some of their fringe players to step up. Um, I think Nelson... Um, Inketia, those are the players that, you know, Inketia did it last season with a couple of great winners in the last minute. I think there's going to be more of those moments that's going to be needed from the rest of the squad. Yeah, Arsenal do have a, a difficult run of fixtures. I think probably more difficult than Liverpool and to a lesser extent than City. Uh, they still have to go away to Tottenham, away to Manchester United. Uh, they have to go away to Manchester City. They have Chelsea at home, so and they have Villa at home. I mean, they, they have a lot of difficult fixtures and the Champions League to contend with. And I wasn't yeah. thrilled to see Gabriel Martinelli and, and Martin Odegaard out there with, you know, after 90 minutes, we're up 5-0, and we haven't hooked these guys out of there considering <laughs> our luck with injuries. But there's reason for optimism. There's reason okay. for optimism, just as there is for Liverpool, who uh, had a big win of their own, uh, 4-1, away at Brentford at the Vitality Stadium. Not the same challenge to go away to Brentford this season, I would say. I, I think no. Brentford have been a, a poor side this season, it's fair yeah. to say. that It wasn't the easiest to, to play the first six months of the season without Ivan Toney. Um, they had, you know, Johan Wissa go away to AFCON. They've had their challenges, but I don't know at what point Thomas Frank is, is going to be under pressure. I know that he has an, an incredible amount of equity yeah. with the supporters and with the club. He did bring them up. He is, by all accounts, a great tactician and, and man manager and, and manager in general. But they didn't put up much of a fight against Liverpool here. This was not, to me, a sign that Liverpool are a dominant side so much as they played a, you know, a poor side. Yeah, and I can't get away from it. This Liverpool team, they they don't move me, you know. They get goals and, I mean, some really, really poor defending from Brentford for Salah's goal and and, and Gakpo's goal where it's just not getting a foot through properly on the ball, um, miskicking a ball and letting it run through to, to the Liverpool players. And the midfield is just so imbalanced for me. Um, with with McAllister, you know him getting the goal is where I expect him to be playing. I think that's his his strongest suit is making those runs into the box, and he's got great quality to finish chances. Him being at the base of a midfield, I, I just I, 
honestly, it baffles me that they are where they are. Um, you just have to put it down to the fact that they've got, you know, probably the best player in the league in, in Salah, and he's come straight back uh, with an assist and a goal. Um, and yeah, the, the, this Liverpool side, they don't scream title winning, a title winning side. Um, but somehow with good fortune, good finishing, the Klopp effect, um, it, it seems to be working. And I'm just waiting for them to have their own purple patch where they do have a couple poor results. And, and let's see how they, re- they react to that. Um, if they continue the way they are and continue leading the league, hats off to them for sure. But there's just something missing for me. And I could just be a hater, who knows? But there's not enough when I see them when they do beat teams. It's almost like teams kind of just roll over. Um, there's not so much of earned victories from from the Liverpool side when you see them you know, go ahead. Yeah, I think that we have gotten in trouble with the Scousers, you know, many times this season already (laughs) questioning the quality of their midfield. Um, You know, again, I I think Wataro Endo has to prove that he is a, you know, Premier League, you know, champion level defensive midfielder. I think Mm -hmm. that, as you say, McAllister is playing too deep. I don't love him in that role. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, the injuries are starting to pile up. Just when Mo Salah comes back from his hamstring, strain and probably played more minutes than Jurgen Klopp wanted him to because of all the injuries. He had to come on a bit earlier, I would say, than he would have otherwise. But now Diogo Jota, who I think is one of the best end product players in the division. Um, You know, that's what I love. You mentioned Leandro Trossard earlier for Arsenal. What I love about his game, although he had a dip midseason, is that he's an end product player. You know, both Mm -hmm. feet, bang, bang, right foot, left foot, I mean, Jota, to his credit, is even a phenomenal header of the ball. His, yeah. He can really get up there. Um, and, you know, it's, it doesn't seem like Darwin Nunez is a number nine in that he, you know, he, he's almost best playing as a wide left forward. He want, or at least he wants to drift over there and pick up the ball there and it is more of a dribbler and a runner than, than that traditional number nine. I think they look best when Jota's playing centrally and now he seems to be have the biggest fitness concerns of anybody in in the squad now. And I think that could be a big issue. Curtis Jones is also injured, although I'm looking at the quotes here and it looks like Jurgen Klopp is saying uh, it's less of a concern. Uh, but, you know, you and I have also questioned his quality a bit too, <laughs> to start with anyway. I just think that Liverpool are going to finish third. I, I just mm. don't think that they're going to finish first or even second. I think I've been saying it week after week. Maybe I'm a homer. I think Arsenal are a superior team. And what needs to be proven, what Mikel Arteta needs to prove, is that he is at least as good a manager as Jurgen Klopp. And if that's the case, then they will finish above Liverpool. And I think that they will. Because I think, yeah. again, Arteta is showing that flexibility. He is adapting to the opposition. I think Liverpool do some of that, but maybe Klopp is more committed to his principles than than even Arteta is at this point. And if the injuries don't go their way, I think they're going to be in trouble. I think they're going to be yeah. in trouble. I just don't think that they are as good as even they their points total would suggest at this point. And now they have to contend with these injury setbacks. Yeah, so it looks like Allison could be out 
you know, for a few weeks. You're right. So yeah. having Allison out, having Trent out, Jota, who's a great foil for all of their attacking players. Um, and he's great. Like you said, in his, his final product is, is fantastic. His conversion rate is up there with the best. Um, and he also brings out the the best and the players around him. Um, I do agree that Darwin Nunes is probably a better um, forward if he's got a strike partner or someone playing close to him that he can play off uh, rather than being that lone number nine striker. Um, I think, you know, the way Real Madrid play, for example, with the two wide forwards and Rod- Rodrigo and, and uh, Vinny uh, Jr. is probably what Nunes is most suited for, that kind of role. Um, but... With Salah, you've you've got a 30, 40 goal player that, you know, even if they're not playing well, can create something out of nothing. Um, but it's it will be a real test and I hope they fail the test <laughs> with the injuries <laughs> that they have now. Uh, Curtis Jones, who I don't think sets the world alight, but I do see the benefit he does have. He's great in possession and he does link well with the forwards. Um but having him out and playing Gravenberch or or playing Harvey Elliott now through the middle, I just, again, I just see so many cracks in that team. Um, Van Dyke is not as imposing as he used to be. Um, Connor Bradley's come in and, and done himself, you know, amazingly well. You know, he's, he's got a great reputation now as, as a young player. But you just think, are these players really up to the standard against, you know, the Salibas, Gabriels, you know, Diaz, Walker? Surely not. So third place should really where they're at. But I don't know. The league's a funny league. And I just think the, the way they're outscoring teams, is it's saving them. But they can't continue, surely. Yeah. We didn't even mention that Trent has the injury issue uh, concern. And I also look at Andy. I was looking at Andy Robertson in this match and wondering whether he is the same explosive uh, you know, he used to be basically a winger and a fullback in one. He was covering yeah. so much ground. I don't think any human being could do that for the number of years that he's sort of been asked to do that. I, so, yeah, there's questions there. I think Ibrahima Konate is a great last-ditch defender, great recovery pace. But, yeah, is is that partnership, him and Van Dyke, at the level of Gabriel and Saliba? I would say no. I think that mm-hmm. that's the best partnership. And then I think... City have, you know, as you say, four center backs that are that might all get into the the Liverpool team. Yeah. So that'll be the question. And, you know, you're right to point out that they have the best player in the league, Mo Salah. And as long as he's playing, they can win any match and they could scrounge up enough points. You know, it's hard to say they're scrounging because they routinely do score four goals a game. But they yeah. at some at times that they're scrounging points, but they could do it to finish above Arsenal. It it is possible. I just think, you know, I think that probably the winner of the Premier League will be determined at the Etihad uh, in late March when Arsenal go there. But we'll have to see. Lots to look forward to. There's plenty of opportunities for Arsenal to blow it before and after that. So I'll be tuning in in for that as well. But until next time, Manny, it was great chatting with you. And uh, have a great week. I'll, I'll see you in seven days. 